for many subjects at GCSE and at A-level, it's all about that final exam. It's seen as the culmination of two or three years worth of studying and learning. It's a source of great anxiety and often huge relief when they're finished. However, just like last year, the class of 2021 will not be sitting these terminal exams, which leaves a rather significant question Just how will these students get a grade to move on to their next step? Hello, and welcome to the Study Sessions podcast. I'm Nathan, the founder of The Study Buddy and your host. In this, our second season of the podcast, we're following six students as they head towards their GCSEs in 2021, or at least what was intended to be their 2021 exams. Each week, I catch up with these very different teens to see how things are going in a one-to-one coaching session. Then, with a panel of experts in our weekly podcast, we discuss some of the issues that come up. They could be broad themes, such as motivation or managing mental health, or they could be quite focused, such as how best to revise for a specific subject. Now, these are normal teens, so you can be sure that we'll be covering topics that young people up and down the country will face. So, if you're a parent, a carer, or a teacher, be sure to subscribe. This week, we're looking at exactly how students will be awarded their grades in GCSE, AS, and A-level courses following the decision to cancel exams. I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by Simon Liebus. Simon became the Interim Chief Regulator and Chief Executive of Ofqual on the 1st of January 2021. He has a wealth of experience in education, technology and curriculum delivery, most notably as a former chief executive of Cambridge Assessment, who run, amongst other things, GCSEs, AS and A-level qualifications all around the world. Simon, thank you for joining me. In January, Gavin Williamson, the Education Secretary, announced that exams wouldn't take place for GCSE and A-level students in England this year. Shortly after, Ofqual launched a consultation paper, jointly with the Department for Education, inviting opinions as to what the alternative arrangements might be. Now, this is quite a divisive topic, so we can only imagine the variety that might have come from more than 100,000 responses. However, at the end of February, the arrangements for this year's exam cohorts were confirmed. Simon, I wonder if you can start by explaining the role of Ofqual and how it sits with the Department for Education and the exam boards. Ofqual was set up as an independent regulator of qualifications, so it stands independent of the Department for Education, and its role is to regulate exam boards, regulate the way in which they work and operate, regulate the standards against which they award. Overall, it's got statutory responsibility for maintaining confidence, public confidence in the qualification system and for ensuring that qualifications are of a good quality. So that's, in a sense, its overall mission. And obviously, it's based on the principle that it's, as a rule, normally regulating exams. So this is an interesting challenge of regulating non-exams, so to speak. And so do you think that it's that public confidence that was a driver behind looking at the alternatives or were there other aspects at play that Ofqual were looking for? I think public confidence is a really big issue. And I think one of the things that went wrong last year was a loss of public confidence. I think... 
behind that was a sense that students weren't given agency. They just had grades allocated to them and wasn't really a sense of those grades being connected to their effort and their learning and what they'd actually done in the classroom over the previous two or three years. So there was a great desire this year to make sure that students, but not just students, parents, teachers, schools, employers, the community using qualifications generally was properly engaged in the development of the arrangements that are going to be put in place. And that was very much the thought we had in mind when we embarked on the consultation. Rather unusually, it was a joint consultation. Normally, they're done independently by either ourselves or Department for Education. But this time, we decided we'd best have a joint consultation and make it somewhat open-ended so that people had an opportunity to comment and talk about the arrangements and so we could get a real sense of what people thought was going to work best. Because as you say, one of the things I think that was most notable last year in terms of the lack of confidence in the process and as shown by the fact that it came up several times early on in the press statements talking about the new arrangements was of course last year's algorithm and the idea that I think that really did underline this lack of agency amongst students. So were great lengths gone to this year to avoid that kind of systematic allocation of grades and apportioning across the board? Yes, I think the emphasis this year is very much on using holistic teacher judgments. You always have a tension with exams. There's a tension between reliability, making sure that the exams will produce exactly the same results for the same level of learning, and validity, making sure that you're really testing what people know about a subject, their skills, knowledge, and understanding. And in a sense, public exams, written exams, sessional exams, where you all sit together in a hall and do the same paper at the same time on a hot summer's afternoon, they are a very reliable way of assessing student learning, but they don't have the same sort of validity as the more holistic teacher judgments that teachers are able to arrive at after teaching a student or a class for two or three years. They really get to know their students. They get to know what they can do. They get to know their capabilities. They understand what they've learned. So it's a more valid way, but obviously it's not quite as consistent or reliable as public exams, because although they can easily rank the students in their own classes, and although they've got a pretty good idea of the national standard, people always talk about teachers teaching to the test and so on, but they collect a lot of data about student performance. They make predictions about student performance in public exams. They're very used to judging student progress. But you don't have the same sort of calibration against a national standard in teacher judgment that you get in public exams. So that's the sort of trade-off that you've got. But I think this year we will be making use of holistic teacher judgments, and that's a good way of dealing with some of the challenges that both teachers and students have faced over the last 18 months. Mm, absolutely. And as you say, the teacher really is I mean, front and centre and all over this process of assessment for this year. I wonder if you could just talk us through the elements of the arrangements for 2021. And I should say that this applies equally for GCSEs, AS, A-levels, and also the vocational qualifications where there was an examined element. Well, the vocational qualifications are a bit more complicated because there are three different types, essentially, as described in the consultation. General qualifications, obviously, the academic qualifications that most people are more used to. Essentially, what will happen this year is that teachers will make holistic judgments about their students' progress and attainment, and those will be translated into recommendations about grades, which schools will then submit to exam boards. The basis on which they'll make those judgments is by looking at student performance over the period during which they've been taught. So they'll be able to look at 
student attainment and student performance and take that into account that has already taken place, in other words, over the last two or three years of a learning program. But they will also be taking into account learning that takes place in tests and homework and coursework and so on that they set during the remainder of the academic year. And I think that's quite a good thing because it means that they can integrate the assessment instruments that they use into the teaching that they do because they've obviously got an enormous challenge. They've got to help students recover some of the learning that's been lost. And this provides a mechanism whereby they can integrate the assessment into teaching and recovering some of that lost learning. So that will be a good and I think helpful thing. And then they can also use some of their own data that they collected over the period of the course to help them arrive at their judgment. The other thing they will have access to is some externally set tasks that will be provided by exam boards. And I think those are going to be a very useful instrument for them because they will be accompanied by data about previous student performance in those tasks. They'll be accompanied by mark schemes. They'll perhaps be accompanied by some example answers from previous years. And that will enable them to get a good idea of what the standard is that they should be marking at and that relate that as a benchmark to some of the other work that they'll be assessing that they're generating in the course of their normal teaching. For those, as I understand it, the samples and example material which will come with schema and exemplar answers in many cases from the exam boards aren't mandated. They're not something that has to be used. And I think this previously had been reported as being sort of like mini exams and an exam that isn't an exam. So there's a whole range of material that teachers can call on and no specific specifications for what has to be called on. There'll be a whole range of teachers that can draw on to support their judgments and to complement some of the other work that they will be setting. And as I say, it's intended to provide them with a benchmark or an anchor reference point that they can use in making grade judgments using some of the other material. There we say it's not going to be mandatory, but I think it's something that I think most teachers in most schools will find quite helpful, not least because it takes off them the burden of, of setting some of the tasks. They will have access to tasks that have already been set, which have been tried and tested in battle, as it were, because they've been used in previous exams. So I hope it's something that will be useful both as a quality assurance device because it will provide an external benchmark, but also will actually be helpful for teachers because it will take some of the burden off them in terms of devising some of the assessment material and instruments that they're going to be deploying as support for the judgments they arrived at in making grades. Because one of the issues with having anything mandated is that there's been no uniformality or consistency of what areas of a syllabus specification might have been taught given this year's cohort have had 18 months really of disruption by the time it comes to the exams. So that ability for a teacher to cherry pick almost the questions and the coursework that relate to the subject areas that they've taught that students have had an opportunity to digest and retrieve and then demonstrate their abilities on has been a key part of that process. Yeah and I think that's central to the design of the arrangements. Clearly it's not fair to test students on things they haven't been taught and this optionality and the range and, and richness of the resources that exam boards will be able to provide ought to mean that teachers can draw on a, a very extensive list of resources that accommodate some of the variations in what have been learned between different schools and different teachers. So I think this actually is a design feature that will be quite helpful in the context of differential learning loss and also just the reality that 
people will be at different points in the curriculum that they will have covered different elements of it according to the experience in their school and what learning provision there's been and how much it's been interrupted. The benefit there, as you say, for the teachers and for the students and that fairness is going to come at a cost to that consistency, must make it that much harder for exam boards to standardise or normalise, moderate perhaps, the evidence as it may come in from schools to make sure that across the board there's a common level to which teachers are marking? Well, I don't think we're expecting exam boards to standardise or moderate the grades that are produced. When we say that we'll be relying on teacher judgment, it really is teacher judgment that will determine the grades. There will be an appeal mechanism available if there have been egregious miscarriages of justice. But as a rule, and as a general principle, it's teacher judgment that we will be relying on. I think the quality assurance framework and scaffolding that exam boards provide and the access to externally set tasks will provide a basis for some consistency in how teachers approach it as between schools. We're also asking teachers and centre heads to look at performance over the last two or three years and use that as context so that if the grades they're recommending look wildly out of kilter with what's happened over the past two or three years. They need to think carefully about that and perhaps provide an explanation, which could be that you've got a new teacher or you're doing a new course. There could be all sorts of reasons why grades might be better or less good than they've been over the last two or three years, but we will expect people to be thinking about that as a matter of context in terms of rationalising the grade outcomes that they're recommending. And then I think also, again, central to this principle is that we will be asking teachers in their grades to make sure that students who are being graded are able to progress to the next stage of their education or their employment or whatever it is that they're going on to. So there will be a sort of minimum threshold in terms of people having covered enough of the course to be able to progress. And I think the other thing that's going to be quite important is the sense for teachers that the judgments they make are going to be used by students in terms of the grades they eventually get awarded to make choices about where they go to next, you know, what their life destination, their training destination, their educational destination is going to be. And I think teachers understand as well as anybody else that you don't do a student any favours by giving them grades that don't accurately represent their level of achievement and their level of capability. And I think that's absolutely central to what's going to happen this year. And I think it's a very reasonable thing to be able to rely on teacher judgment, given that teachers know their students better than anybody else, to make sure that they grades accurately reflect student attainment and that students, therefore, are in a good position to make good choices about what they do next in their lives. An interesting differentiation there between the attainment that a student has made against the course that's been covered on one hand, and then on the other, the minimum amounts of content that might need to be covered in that subject if the student wants to go on to take, say, for example, history at further education, that there is a, a scaffolding. And so is there a formal mechanism for teachers to make that delineation or just something that teachers would have as part of a conversation with the students? I think it's more a matter of something that teachers would have as part of a conversation with students. Clearly, it varies from subject to subject, being sufficiently well and extensively taught to be able to progress in, say, a modern language or physics or maths is probably going to be different to English, say, or history. And that's just the reality. And I think trying to produce hard and fast rules by subject 
would risk getting back to rather arbitrary standards being set, which would actually, I think, in a sense, probably somewhat reduce the integrity of the teacher judgment. I think trying to sort of fence it in, in in a rather artificial way probably would not produce the best outcomes. But also, we've seen this, not at this level necessarily before, although we would have done, I guess, in the olden days where there were courseworks on non-linear exam setups, that the teachers would have given their determinations and their assessments throughout. And of course, in universities, we see that where the university courses are awarded by the awarding body, not standardised across the whole year. So as you say, teachers are well-placed, even if perhaps unused to doing it at this level. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, the analogy with universities. And in a sense, it's never very controversial in universities because it's a closed universe, if you like, and in a, any given cohort, even in the biggest universities, perhaps you'll have a student body of one or two, 2,000 students taking a particular subject. So it's a much easier exercise, in a sense, for lecturers, people marking the exams, examiners to have a good idea of what they're standardizing against. The challenge here is that you're dealing with the entire school system. So you've got approximately 6 million students, you've got 6,000 schools, you've got in the region of 11,000 qualifications, so lots of moving parts, lots of variation. But I think nonetheless, having the externally set task does give a good idea of what the sort of standard expectations are. And in a normal year, teachers are collecting data about student performance all the time. There are lots of ways of correlating expectations against previous performance. For example, GCSEs and GCSE results are a very good indicator of A-level results, so teachers will be aware of those in terms of looking at individual students and their performance. Also, there are tests that people do on an informal basis that can provide guidance or information for teachers that they'll take into account. It is a big challenge. We don't have the normal mechanisms available to ensure standard results, but I think there's no particular reason to assume that teachers in applying their judgment to this are going to do a less effective job than they do normally, and that's something that... The other thing I think to sort of think about it is the reality that this year you're excluding what I call the sort of rough justice and hazard elements that students are normally subject to. So normally when you're doing a, an end of session exam and you're sitting it all at the same time in your exam hall on a hot summer's day, you run the risk firstly of going into the exam hall, turning the paper over and discovering you're being asked questions about things you haven't been taught. Well, that's being removed this year. And the second thing that can happen is you go into the exam hall and you have a duff day because the hamster died that this morning or you've got a heavy cold or whatever it is. And again, that element has been removed because teachers will be able to use their observations over the, the course of the academic year or the previous two years or three years that they've been teaching their students for that long. So you would expect to get perhaps a slightly more generous set of judgment because they'll be seeing the best of the, or they'll be based on the best of the students' work rather than the sort of slightly more hazardous business of what they manage in an example on a summer. But I don't think that's necessarily going to result in less consistent or less fair or less accurate results. I love that the turnaround of looking at it as being rough justice, whereas there have been an awful lot of reports in the media about grade inflation, which I don't think is a particularly helpful term here because we're obviously not looking at inflating. But it is true to say that the grades awarded this year are overwhelmingly likely to be much more generous. Do you think that's going to be a problem for this year as they look at their next steps, or even next year's students who will perhaps be compared to the year before? I think it's quite difficult to model the outcomes because the difference is going to be that they're holistic grade judgments rather than grade judgments based on the sort of 
fine boundaries that you get in a normal year with exams. In a normal year with exams, papers are marked out of 100 or 80 or whatever it is, and then you aggregate the mark, you translate it into what's called the uniform mark scheme, and then you set grade boundaries at a precise point, you say 75% or 50% or whatever it is. So you get a sort of slightly different approach to grading, whereas this year it will be based on holistic judgments. So they'll be expressed as grades one to nine or A to E or, or whatever it is. There won't be that sort of same sense of there being on a curve that's related to specific marks. And I think given that, it's very hard to model outcomes as to whether there's going to be a substantial inflation. Or I'm not expecting substantial inflation. There may be some sort of upward pressure on last year's outcomes. It, it remains to be seen. I've also had comments from various stakeholders actually who would be worried about grades going slightly down. And I think the big lesson I've been involved in the administration of large-scale public exams since 2002 is that every time there's a big change in how you approach public exams, and this clearly is a very big change, this total migration to teacher judgment, it's very hard to predict what's going to happen because people aren't quite sure what the rules of the game are, which can encourage them to be a bit more conservative, which might mean the craze went down, and people just are cautious about how they work and how they operate in such an environment. So I think, again, we put a lot of safeguards in. There's a lot of careful engineering, if you like, to the, the sort of architecture of the arrangements that are being put in place, which I think will help manage most of that. But of course, we're moving into somewhat uncharted territory. So you've got to be ready for the unexpected. But I don't think that's going to translate into heavy grade inflation. I think it would probably just translate into a, a slightly unusual profile and distribution of grade results. You mentioned a moment ago about appeals, and that struck me as being something that was quite different to last year, where the appeals process didn't seem to be well formed, but this was declared as part of the confirmation out of the consultation document. So you mentioned also that you don't expect to see many appeals other than for grievous miscarriages. Do you think it's fair that not many students or parents might challenge the grades that they'll be getting? Well, I think last year there were many fewer appeals than in a normal year. I think there were only about it was under 5,000 grades changed. In a normal year, you've got about 300,000 appeals and in the region of 70,000 grades changed. So the level was much lower last year, though that was partly because the grounds on which you could appeal were more limited. This year, Again, very hard to model what's likely to happen. I think one factor that might contribute to a lower level of appeals is that we're expecting students to have socialised with them the basis on which their grades have been awarded. So in other words, by the time that schools submit grade recommendations to the awarding bodies on June the 18th, they will have shared with students the pieces of work that have been used on which they'll be making their recommendations. So students will have a, probably a good idea of what they're likely to achieve. And I think that's something that will probably contribute to a reduction in the number of appeals. I think also it's going to be conceptually a bit difficult to unpick a grade because, as I said, it's a holistic judgment. It could be based on five, six, seven, eight pieces of work. So there's the challenge of what would you be appealing? Would you be appealing because one of those pieces of work you felt had been slightly ungenerously treated? Or would you be saying that the other seven or eight pieces of work ought to be graded at the same level that the one where you did particularly well was? There's going to be this sort of difficulty of how you unpick a holistic judgment. And again, we're back to this trade-off between reliability and validity. I think, I hope, the way it's been constructed, most students will recognize that a proper process has been 
gone through in order to arrive at valid judgments that teachers really do know best. And hence, unless there's been some sort of horrible mistake or something else has gone badly wrong, I wouldn't expect that to be a lot of grace. I think the other thing that, that can be problematic, and I'm certainly aware of from last year, is that students, sorry, teachers rather, can become a bit exposed if there are parents who have a particular view of what their children might have achieved and they see them doing less well than that, they might sort of enter into an appeals process, almost sort of bargaining for a better grade. And that's obviously not a very helpful thing. And I think a pressure that teachers probably other things being equal ought to be protected from. I don't think it's a good thing. And the system's not designed to encourage speculative appeals. And in a normal year, you get a lot of appeals because people know what grade boundaries are. So if you're very near the grade boundary, you think, well, I'll give it a, have a go and you know, why not? But it's just that that will not be the case this year. So I'm hoping those things will lead to a lower level of appeals. That would be my sort of general sense of where I would expect to be ending up. So you mentioned the expectation is that teachers will share with the students. This is what I think was the best examples of your work and support the grade that I'm going to give. But you're not expecting the teachers to share the grade with the students at that point, are you? No, we're not expecting them to share the grade with the students, not least because it needs to be, the grade will be recommended by the school to the exam board, which will then have to confirm the, the grade. So it will still be provisional at that point. But we would expect the students to have an insight into what the teacher's judgment has been based on and maybe how they've done. And again, there's an opportunity for the teachers to give feedback to the students about what's gone well and what's not gone so well. And finally, this is speculative on our own. And I appreciate that there are policy decisions that, as you explained in the opening, won't necessarily be for Ofqual. But I wonder whether, as we cast our mind forward to 2022, the students that would be taking their GCSEs and A-levels next year have had an impact on their education and remote learning in the course of their studies. Do you expect to see any changes in the nature or type of assessment that they'll be facing when they come to sit their own exam? I think it's a very good question. And the answer is that we're not sure at this stage because I think quite a lot of thinking has got to go into what's going to happen next year. Obviously, one of the peculiar features of the 2022 cohort is that they won't have had the experience of public exams before because they won't have taken GCSEs or A-levels. So the A-level cohort, which would normally have quite a lot of experience of public exams, actually will go into that exam room completely cold. What's that actually mean for them? How are we going to prepare them for that? So there are all sorts of issues about how that might be managed. There was a lot of work done this year on adapting exams by providing some prior material and advice on what sort of questions would be asked. So those would all be strategies that might be deployed to make it less of a brutal shock for the 2022 cohort, who will also, of course, suffer much more extensive learning loss because they'll have had two years of pandemic in the background. So very much work that's still in progress trying to decide exactly what that's going to look like. So is there any advice that you'd give to parents during this time? I guess I would observe that they've obviously had an unsettling set of circumstances to deal with. And I know that for both parents and students, the uncertainty surrounding arrangements for this summer has been very difficult to deal with. We do have a set of arrangements that I think will provide a good set of results and a good learning experience for students for the rest of the academic year. And I think we also can feel satisfied that we've designed a, a set of arrangements to support teachers in making judgments about grades. Teachers have much the best idea of their students' 
capability and that what students have achieved in their learning. So I think parents should feel reassured that they are in good hands this year, that the teachers will be able to form a much better judgments than exam boards could possibly do in these rather peculiar circumstances, and that teachers should just be allowed to get on with it. It's a challenging task. They've already got a lot of work to do dealing with all the learning that's been lost. This, I think, is being organized in a way that will help them with that task, but also it's a heavy extra responsibility and they need to be given the space to do it. Simon, thank you so much for joining me today. It was great to hear about these changes directly from you. Not even the staunchest supporters of educational reform when it comes to exams would have thrown us headlong into this situation. It's clear that what Simon and his colleagues at Ofqual have tried to do is to create a system that replaces exams as a grade awarding mechanism that's sympathetic to the situation that students find themselves in. Balancing that against an obligation to maintain public confidence is never going to be easy. What we have might not be ideal. In fact, I'm not sure if anyone would actually claim this alternative was perfect. But it is workable. I'm sure I read somewhere that someone called this the least worst option. But the main thing is that it provides something that students can work to. And, as Simon told us, no one is better placed than teachers to provide an assessment of what level students are working to. One of the key drivers also seems to be giving as much time as possible to teachers to teach the course. It's interesting to recognise that there's a difference, especially this year, between the level a student is at, given the curriculum they have covered, and their readiness to progress to the next stage. And this is a very different challenge to last year. It feels right that this distinction has been made because it would be unjust to give a lower grade to an able student simply because they'd not been able to cover the full content. However, it is absolutely right too that students have an honest conversation about the higher or further education choices they are making with their teachers. And it seems that not having had stipulations placed on what teachers use as evidence is also an encouragement for them and for students to continue to plough through the content as much as possible. The very idea that teachers award grades seems to divide opinion. But Simon was very clear, teachers are absolutely best placed to do this. I, for one, don't have an issue with it at all. Of course, there'll be an element of teachers that might play the system. But to imagine that this will be widespread is to underplay the professionalism of a sector that, on the whole, cares deeply about student outcomes. Besides, it's not in their interests or their nature to wildly inflate the attainment of their students. How does a school hold its head up high if its results dramatically spike in 2021? As we heard from Simon, teachers' assessments will be a matter of looking at each student as if they were on their best day. So the worst we can accuse teachers of is optimism. I love Simon's phrasing that this removes the rough justice as opposed to the alternative of looking at it as grade inflation. Can anyone really begrudge this year's cohort a break like this? It is, however, true that next year's GCSE students will have suffered with levels of disruption. And interesting to think, too, that 2022's A-level students won't have faced public exams before. 
which presents its own challenges. I hope that the people considering the alternatives announce and implement them in good time so that everyone, teachers, students and parents, can make the adjustments and accommodations that they need to to best serve the students of 2022. Thank you for listening. I hope that you found this episode every bit as interesting and useful as I have. If you did, would you take a moment to leave a five-star rating and perhaps a review too? It really helps us to reach other parents and spread the word on how they can support their own young people. Of course, sharing the link to this and other episodes with friends on social media is always very much appreciated. There'll be another episode next week, so please don't forget to subscribe to the Study Sessions podcast.